Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comics and graphic novels, and on episodes like this, talk to our favorite creators making comics today. Today we are joined by none other than Chip Zdarsky, current writer on books like Daredevil, Batman, Stillwater, Newburn, and the subject of today's episode, Public Domain. Hey Chip, how's it going? Pretty good, yourself. Doing good. I just binged a bunch of Stillwater before this. I had let it pile up. It's a pretty good comic. I gotta say, I like that one. Uh, can I use that as a pull quote? It's a pretty good you, comic. You can, yeah. Absolutely. Pretty good comic. <laughs> guy in the closet. Yes. <laughs> love it. I love it. Thanks. So, that's that's one. Of, that's one of those ones that just kind of like. It doesn't make the news a lot because we're just kind of just kind of consistently kind of just putting it out and it's wrapping up soon. I, I kind of feel bad about that because there's no like, it's not Batman or Daredevil, so we don't have that kind of uh, thing. But also, Ramon's just so good. It's like it, it's hard to know what to say with each issue because it, it comes out. It's like, oh, okay, all right, that's a pretty good issue, and then you just move on to the next one. Yeah, Weird. it it seems to be one of those continued excellence things where I heard a lot about it when it came out. And it just continues to be good. And so what are you going to say other than like, yeah, Chip and Ramon continue to do good on this. (laughs) 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 I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But pretty big week last week with public domain volume one coming out. I guess my first question with that, that book starts out on Substack, right? Goes into singles and now becomes a trade paperback. How has that experience been of three pretty different audiences coming into it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's weird because it was a thing I came up with. Um, God, I don't even know, understand time. But uh, I came up with it kind of about several months after starting our uh, manga podcast, MangaSplaining.com, because I was kind of inspired by a lot of the manga I was reading. And... Uh, I had the idea, and I was like, "Okay, well, I won't be able to do it because I'm I'm quite busy. Um, so at best, I'll be able to start drawing it in 2024, maybe." Um, so that was always in the kind of the back of my head. And then the Substack thing happened, and uh, and they were like, "If you're going to launch uh, comics, you know, it'd be great for you to write and draw one um, as you kind of your follow up to Sex Criminals." I'm like, "Yeah, that makes sense." I'm like, "Oh no." It means I've got to do this. Like it kind of just, it kind of hit me at that moment. Like, oh man, okay. I just hope nothing else kind of hits the schedule. And then I got offered Batman, and so uh, so everything just kind of collided at the same time. But I'm really grateful to the Substack process because um, for the first arc, I, I I pretty much consistently put up a new installment of Public Domain every two weeks on Friday. Uh, alternating usually with Captara, which is a book I do with Kagan McLeod. And so knowing that people were paying for it, uh, uh, I couldn't slack off. Like usually yeah. if you're working on a single issue or a graphic novel, it's like the clock only starts when you solicited it, when you put it mm-hmm. in the catalog. And so usually you don't do that until you have it all done. So with this, it's like, okay, I made sure I had one issue in the can and then start putting up installments which really forced me to kind of keep doing it even on weeks where I was like, you know, burdened with uh, Daredevil or Batman scripts to, to write. Um, so I like that. I like the immediacy of it. Like, it's been a long mm-hmm. time since I done something kind of just for web. Like I, I used to do bits like that to the newspaper and I used to do kind of like online comics uh, and you get that really instant feedback, which I really enjoy. Um, so getting that once again with, uh, with doing things on Substack was was a joy uh and also it helped me kind of find weird problems in it but that i could fix if somebody pointed out oh you know it's weird that they use this name when the name's been used before or you know you spelled this wrong or this story is terrible like i have i have time i have time to fix it uh and i always knew it was going to come out in single issues because it's a comic about comics like i didn't mm-hmm. want to go straight to graphic novel uh or just uh, have it online so the plan was always going to be single issues as a part of it um, and then eventually the collection, which hopefully it lives on in the collection, kind of the way Sex Criminals has done. Yeah. What has it been like returning 
to drawing a a comic like this. It's been since yeah. Sex Criminals, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. A, I've done a couple short things. Like I did a short Daredevil thing. Um, but uh, it's. I mean, it's been terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> I don't recommend it to uh, anyone. <laughs> like by the. It's, it's funny. Um, by the end of Sex Criminals. Uh, somebody asked me if I was going to kind of keep drawing after this. And I said, no, absolutely not. Um, the, the second I finished drawing sex criminals, I took a hammer to my hand and just like, that's it. No more, no more drawing. <laughs> um, but um, I've said it before. I think most comic artists especially have a thing called short-term em- emotional memory where they don't remember the feeling uh, associated with the project. Cause like the whole time I was doing sex criminals, I'd finish an issue like I was drawing and coloring and lettering it while trying to write. Like it was a slog. It was like eight hours every day, just hunched over the table. My hand hurt, my back hurt, my neck hurts. Um, uh, you have to draw everything. You have to learn how to draw everything. Uh, horrible. At the end of every, every issue, I'd be like, "Oh my god, that was. I never want to do that again." And then, like a <laughs> week later, a new script would show up from Matt Fraction. I'd read it, and be like, "Oh, this is fun. I can't wait to do it." Like, because I forget the feeling. You just have to forget that feeling in order to kind of do it again. Um, so yeah, when uh, when I started drawing public domain, I'm like, well, at least I'm writing it. I can take shortcuts here and there and stuff. If I want to write a scene where there's no people, I can do that. But I haven't because I'm dumb. I'm still like, oh, I'm gonna set this all in a giant comic studio. Oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. So even writing for myself hasn't made it any easier. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I like but that. the but the but the flip side is there's like there's an immense satisfaction from doing everything on a project. Like when I got the physical copy of the book, whenever I get a physical copy of like a Marvel or DC book or even Sex Criminals, like um, they're rewarding because there's memories of making it with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's like your baby with a bunch of uh, people. It takes a village. Uh, but with public domain, the fact that it was all me, including like the design of it. Um, just really satisfying to kind of hold that in your hands and be like, man, like I made this, like I made it. Uh, if people like it, if they don't like it, you know, that's, that's on them. Um, this is the thing that I've put my heart into that uh, is wholly me and for me. And, uh, and, you know, it's like to say, you can't take that away from me. I yeah. love that. That's so awesome. Um, I just have to say, I'm very new in the comics world, and I actually read Sex Criminals with Dallas for the podcast, and we have an ongoing joke that, for a little bit of context, I'm Dallas's younger sister, so I can be mean to him on the internet. (laughs) Okay, okay, so siblings decide to read Sex Criminals together. Okay. Exactly. It was team building. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it wasn't well thought out. I was like, I heard this comic is great, and then about halfway through, I went... (laughs) Oh, ah. I'm reading this with my sister. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to talk about this with my sister. Yeah, it was very, it was very, very fun. But we <laughs> have an ongoing kind of joke or like little comment that will make that Dallas and his wife look exactly like John and Susie, like mm. copy used, and paste. <laughs> I used to put my hair back like John, and I had to switch it up. I was like, yeah. I, I got that yeah, often I mean, enough. I've, I've met a bunch of John and Susie's. Um, for some reason, it's like a type. Yeah, uh, we find each other. Kind of keeps coming. Yeah, yeah at, at, at comic conventions especially, people will always come up like, oh, people say we look like them. The funny thing is when I originally designed the characters, um, I sent them to Matt, and Matt was like, hey, these are great, but like they look exactly like myself and my wife, like me and Kelly Sue. <laughs> and... Uh, I forget what it was like. Originally, Susie had like like a different colored hair or something. I don't I don't know what it was, and so I just changed the hair color. And he's like, "Okay, it's fine." But I'm like, "But then Kelly Sue changed her hair color." I'm like, "Oh, I don't know. It's it, it looks <laughs> like, like you guys." <laughs> yeah, or like like I added glasses to John. He wanted me to add glasses to John. I'm like, "But you wear glasses. I don't." Uh. So yeah, <laughs> a lot a lot of people think it's just based on them, but it's actually based on a couple yeah. of friends of mine. So, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the best part is like, cause I, I, I use them as reference. Like, like I I take photos after I do the layouts. Um, so I have kind of good gestural and expressions and, and things like that for reference. And, um, it's my friends, Tiffy and uh, Alex, and I was good friends with both of them before this, but they never met each other. And so the, for the first issue, I, I got them together in my studio 
and I'm a little nervous. And, you know, I got them some booze and some takeout food. And we kind of chatted, got to know each other. And then, like, I shoot it in order just for myself so I can chronologically make sense of things. And the first scene in Sex Criminals is them having sex on a uh, washing counter. So I'm like, all right. So, um, all right, now that you guys kind of know each other a little bit, if you could just, like, sit here on my desk and you could just kind of grind and and I'm just going to take a picture. <laughs> wildly, wildly, uh, uh, yeah. Wildly uh, uh, offensive and awkward, um, like but after after we, <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. But they became really good friends, and then like, uh, I, I it was part of the process that I look forward to almost the most. By issue like ten, eleven, like it was such a regular thing them coming over to my studio and us having like takeout food and a couple of drinks. I had to cut back on the drinking because they started to really take control of their own characters and uh, argue with me about the script. I'm just like, oh, look, it's not my script. <laughs> uh, and my friend Tiffy was like, by issue four, she was like, you know, kind of drunkenly slurring. Just like, I don't think Susie would do this. And I'm like, you're not Susie. You're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just please just do it. Uh, but that, that was some of my favorite moments, just like hanging out with them, shooting the reference for sex criminals and uh, and having like kind of weird in-depth conversations about our lives and sex, which also kind of helped influence the book. Yeah. Are you still doing the same sort of reference photoing for public domain or was that just yeah. part of sex criminals? No, I'm still doing it maybe for like half the characters, like the, the ones who are like, main main characters for sure um and the the funny thing is um uh miles dallas who's kind of ostensibly the main character that's kagan mcleod who's the artist on captara uh that's really fun yeah yeah and you can see in kagan's work he sometimes uses himself as a reference so it's kind of like he exists across a bunch of different comics um Mm -hmm. yeah and his brother his actual brother sean who directed my chip class videos he's he plays the brother dave so oh, cool. that's fun. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. And of course, so, uh, I based myself, uh, uh, or I based um, uh, Jerry Jasper on myself. So the worst character in the book is me. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of un, it's kind of unnerving. Like you know, because he's bald and older, and when I draw it out, I'm just like, well, I'm going to lose my hair at some point. It's starting, so I'm going to look like this eventually. And it's really <laughs> weird to draw myself twenty years down the line. Just willing it into existence. You got to make decisions every day. You're like, how can I be more (laughs) off-putting? Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Um, So what went into the character creation for public domain? Because, I mean, you talked about manga influences. This feels like a slice of life comic about the comics industry. And something like that has to be character driven, right? So what, how did you approach creating the characters of public domain? Um, it's one of those things where I have so many stories in my head, um, from history and from other comic creators about their treatment in the industry. Like it does, this kind of came out of the manga podcast mostly because I was really fascinated by all the various manga that just seemed like the creator being like, Oh, I like this thing. I'm going to make a comic about it. You know? Oh, I like ping pong. I'm making a comic about ping pong. Or, you know, I like business. I'm making a comic about business. You don't see a lot of that in North American comics. So I'm like, well, the only thing I'm actually interested in is comics. Very unfortunate for myself. Um, <laughs> so I had to do the hacky thing and uh, make a, a book about the industry because I'm I'm really into the, the history of comics and the treatment of creators. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want I didn't want any of the characters to feel like a one for one for anyone in the industry. You know, some people are looking at it like, oh, it's like a Stan Lee and Jack Kirby uh, story. I'm like, yeah, but Jack Kirby was never like as kind of blase about this the way yeah. um, the way Sid is. And uh, Stan Lee was never the monster that Jerry was. So uh, I wanted to make sure that, like I said, they weren't one for one. They weren't uh, analogs of any kind of real life creators. We're kind of blending the stories together. Um, and you don't want anyone to be like, I mean, I, I, I did write Jerry over the top, but by the end of the first volume, you kind of have a sense that like, oh, maybe there's some more happening here um, when he kind of feels hurt by the comments, by the, the people that work at the comic company. Um, yeah, you you just want to make sure you're kind of fleshing out characters and not just as mouthpieces for your opinions, 
which can sometimes yeah. happen with creators and um, that usually creates bad stories. Uh, so I wanted to make sure the family dynamic was the heart of it, that everyone kind of has their own opinion on the ownership of the characters and how that's affected the family and even how like a, a career in comics affects your family. Like that, that's, those are the stories that, you know, kind of hit me pretty hard uh, are the creators who like work like backbreaking hours uh, on a job that, you know, pays them very little and like don't see their kids or, you know, their wife has to kind of keep the, the house going. Like so many speeches at the Eisner's, I noticed one year, especially when older guys would win, would just be them like thanking their wife for like making sure the laundry's done and the cooking and taking care of the kids while I'm like working till four in the morning. I'm just like, well, that's a it's a bad lifestyle for you and your partner. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and comics, a lot of creative industries are just kind of full of that. Um, so that was that was a focus for the characters as well between uh, um, uh, Sid and his wife Candy. I like that. I think it it serves as a reminder as a reader that even as someone that's interested in the industry, there the industry is made up of people, right, and personalities, and no one is a monolith. Even the people yeah. that frustrate you in the comics industry, like like Sid Wood, they're people with feelings, and I think that's an interesting conversation to start with comics fans about the artwork that they're taking in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody's all bad either. Like, you know, I, I work for Marvel and DC and I'm publishing a book critical of those companies, but, but there's nobody really at those companies that I deal with that I don't like, you know, um, most people at, at these levels are people who love comics and that's why they do it. Like editors at Marvel aren't paid that much. Assistant editors definitely aren't. Um, uh, they do it because they love it, and and they're taken advantage of almost as much as the creators are, uh, in a lot of ways, because they are working for less in a city like New York that's super expensive, because they get to edit Spider Man or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it was important to me with this to like make sure. Yeah, there weren't outright villains. Like, even the ones you think are villains now, kind of. As you go along, you'll realize, oh, there's there's trauma there. There's things that are affecting their decisions, um, and there's there are points made on kind of both sides of the debate as well. Like, it's important to me to to make sure someone states that, like, oh, it's not just the fact that this guy created it. Like, it's really popular now because hundreds of people worked on this. Like so many people worked on it to make it good, and the people on the movie made it even better, and the people, you know. It's uh, it's not as clear cut as like this person created it fifty years ago. They deserve every cent of this. Like, there's a lot of people involved in these, and they kind of get out of the the hands of the creators and even the companies um, with so many kind of fingers in the pie and so many people kind of like contributing to this the recipe of it all. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like even just for me as someone who's so new in the world of comics like it was just such an interesting lens to read because i was like oh wow like i can feel that this is real like this is people's real life experiences and i feel like for me it definitely opened up my eyes to that and i cool. loved the dynamic of like the family business because dallas and i come from a family who has a family business that is crazy <laughs> and will start fights and it just is such like I found myself getting emotional while reading the past, like the the five issues. It was a really fantastic look on these characters. And I feel like even just with it only being five issues, I feel like I'm so invested in these characters already. And I'm really excited to see where they're going. And um, oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I because I feel like Another little bit of context. I go into every single episode blind. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. reading all of these comics for the first time. I don't really ever get a lot of context, which I think is kind of the fun part. Dallas mm -hmm. kind of just is like, here you go. This is what you're reading. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, yeah. So this was such a fun surprise. Like, I really didn't know what I was getting into. And I felt so refreshed reading this. I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, I love. Awesome 
getting a different type of comic. Like I've never read anything like this before. So I genuinely really enjoyed it. Oh, cool. Thanks a lot. Um, of course. Well, I have, I have my, my question to you guys is, uh, well, what is the family business? <laughs> Construction. It'll eat okay. your soul. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And have either of you been like, been like kind of pulled into it? Like, do you work? Oh, I for sure will oh. work full time currently. <laughs> yeah. So I moved across the country to not be a part of it. Yeah. He, but yeah. he still works yeah. in construction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just oh, really? in, yeah. Because I moved out to New York and I was like, man, I really need to make some money. I was like, well, yeah. there's always money in construction, I guess. Yeah. Can't escape. And, <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Totally. Reading this, I was like, yep. Family yep. business. Yep. You family feel business. Into it. <laughs> well, I mean, volume two is going to be going to be uh, maybe it'll hit home even harder for you too, um, just because it is at that point about the family business, about them yeah. kind of working together on this thing that the dad technically started. So now they have to listen to the dad, or do they? Like, um, yeah, volume volume two has been a lot of fun to write uh, because it, it's kind of ended where I wanted it to begin a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like volume one was just kind of me setting up the comic I want to do, which is like a family business and the comics industry and like how, how to put out a comic. What do you, you know, they're going to go to comic conventions, award shows, comic (laughs) signings, you know, deal with the printer distributor, all the kind of weird inside baseball stuff that I can hopefully convey in a non inside baseball way. Uh, But I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you, you liked it because um, yeah, it feels like there's not a lot out there in the North American market. That's just like, kind of fun kind of real life people just yeah. kind of having conversations like there's no there's no magical aliens uh no sci-fi western vampire like i tried to strip this of genre as much as i could just because that's that's a trap that north american creators kind of we all fall into um yeah. i think the manga industry obviously they have their genre stuff but it's all the slice of life stuff and the workplace kind of comedies that i i've i've enjoyed the most reading because that is similar similar to you lexi like i um on our manga podcast i'm the newbie and every uh every episode um they recommend manga for me to read and then we we covered those in the future episodes and they're trying to tailor it for my interest like depending on how (laughs) i've reacted to other manga but um, but I'm going in mostly blind on those. Like they kind of sell it to me a little bit. They're like, "All right, this is going to be kind of a this thing." I'm like, "All right, okay, we'll read that first. But uh, yeah, there's something fun <laughs> about going in completely blind on stuff, which almost never happens in North American comics, because everyone likes yeah. to spoil themselves. Like like the thing that I hate maybe the most working for Marvel in DC is that they are like, in four months, everything changes. Uh, here's a preview. Here's a, a quarter of the book for you to read as a preview before it comes out so you can speculate and like ruin the story like there's so much just kind of given away so i'm glad you're going in blind i think that's (laughs) the way stories are meant to be consumed yeah and i'm definitely notoriously never ever on the internet (laughs) like it has come up in multiple different aspects so people will be like this happened how many years ago and you're just now finding it i'm like well Sorry. <laughs> oh, fantastic. You're living the life I want to live. Like That's attempt to live. Yeah. I'm jealous oh. of her every day. I, um, I try to I try to break it as often as I can. Like um like a couple weeks ago I just spent a week where I just didn't go online at all. Like mm-hmm. at all. Uh except to check my email and that was it. Just so I could catch up on work and I'm just like, oh my god, I got so much done. I'm so productive and I'm not just like, what's everyone talking about refreshing every like two seconds? horrible it's a horrible system yeah i probably open twitter maybe once every two weeks and then bully dallas uh, and then get off <laughs> oh i love it i love it that's what it's there for it's just exactly. to bully bully uh, your brother exactly that is what yeah. it's for i i think my favorite no internet moment was the dad of the family business he's a very quiet guy and he was like let's go on a camping trip son i was like oh that sounds fun <laughs> and we went out and i had not it had been years since it was just he and I. And I was like, oh, I haven't known silence like this. Being with this mountain man in the woods. <laughs> he doesn't talk. Well, he doesn't talk. Uh, we were on day yeah, two. Yeah. I was like, well, you got to give me something. I was like, I, Strong I've been here type. too yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the reverse the reverse can happen too. Because I remember those kind of moments with my dad when I kind of grew up. And like, we'd go off on a trip together. 
and you know i've been in college at that point but like, this is great like i'm bonding with my dad and then he would just get really personal and be like i don't want to hear about <laughs> i don't want to hear about how you pleasure my mother like i don't want this yeah i don't yes. want this <laughs> yes yeah it was it was it wasn't even direct it was like i remember like one we were driving somewhere and he was just like he just started like I don't know, I was talking about dating, whatever. He's like, oh, here's how you please a woman. He started giving me graphic details of how to please a woman. I'm just like, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I'm like, wait a second, you're talking about my, my mom. I'm like, you can't, you can't tell me these general ideas about pleasing a woman because like, I know specifically the woman you're pleasing. Come on, dad, Jesus. Yeah, that's definitely our t- our parents for sure. I have a couple of experiences yeah. with my mom like that. I'm like, please, no. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Family business. That's really it right there. Well, I'm really excited about volume two of Public Domain, knowing that it's going to go too. into family business because there's such a weird dynamic of legacy with a family business, especially with something like Public Domain, where there's a an important character involved. Where as the kid, you just you feel like an asshole if you want to go out and do your own thing. Because like your parents like, I worked so hard and I built this thing and like you can just have it. You're like, I was also raised by someone who like went out and built this thing and like only talked about that valuable. And now I just want to go do that myself. Yeah, yeah. It's like this weird little dance you do, but Uh, it's so hard. Uh, My my best friend from high school um, during the summer months, his parents were divorced and he would fly out to Alberta to like work with his dad at his carpentry business. And his dad named the carpentry business Ken and Ben Carpentry. Oof. Which is like, you know, my friend's name was Ben. And like, I just remember, like, he was clearly not a carpenter. He was like this, like, flamboyant artist who just wanted to create drawings and paintings. And it became very clear he wasn't going to become a carpenter. I'm just like, at what point do you change the name to this Ken, Ken Carpentry? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. You just leave the Ben up there crossed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ken yeah. Ben. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, brutal. Yeah, tragic. So I've got to ask, you say you start public domain and then Batman comes along. How does it feel to work on something like public domain while you simultaneously work on what's arguably the highest profile big two superhero (laughs) comic? It's super weird. (laughs) I mean, I've never, I mean, it doesn't... Like, the, the subject matter public domains never kind of caused me any problems. Like, I get emails from, like, editors and people who work at Marvel and DC saying that they enjoy it mm-hmm. um, uh, because they, because they know like these companies have already admitted their problems. Like there've been lawsuits and, you know, they, they, you know, DC strove to be better in terms of paying creators for media usage and Marvel, you know, finally started giving back, you know, the artwork to the artists in the eighties and, um, uh, the companies know that they've had a bad history of it, and uh, there are people within the companies that work to rectify that as much as they can. Um, so I, I, it hasn't been awkward or anything doing doing both, because also public domain's just enough under the radar. Like we're not doing Batman numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we you know it's nice that we're on like you know kind of best of lists, especially towards the end of the year. That was really sweet, and the sales have been pretty good. But like, but we're not this isn't a tsunami, you know, in the industry where it's like, everyone's talking about public domain. Like how can the writer of Batman be criticizing, you know, <laughs> the companies like DC or Marvel? Um, I think people see it as, you know, my quiet book that I do and uh, it has its own audience and the Batman thing just feels so separate because the style of writing is so different too. Like, like there's no way if, if you just put a copy of Batman down and public domain down in front of a reader, with the name stripped off of it, there's no one would make the connection that the same guy is writing both. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, which is, which is a little helpful in keeping it separate. Yeah. So what has gone into your approach on Bruce Wayne and like capturing that unique voice for that character and your storylines? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a strange thing writing characters that you've read your entire life. Because when you sit down yeah. to write them, you, the voice is already there. Um, uh, the one character that I've written in the past that like that it hit immediately was uh, I wrote Jughead for Archie Comics. It was like a reboot, which what? is like mm-hmm. that was a childhood dream. But like once you start writing like Veronica dialogue or Reggie or Moose or you know Betty Archie Jughead, 
you have the voices for all those characters in your head. They're so well um, uh, uh, laid out for you from the you know seventy years of their existence or whatever. Uh, that some of those some characters like that are very easy to write, and Batman kind of falls into that. Um, you know, I have already had the kind of the voice in my head um, from the various iterations of Batman over the years. Uh, and also just like kind of reading all the comics leading up to my run where they left the character who's kind of a bit older. He's like the patriarch of like a million Robins. Uh, um, so, so I, I had a good kind of springboard um, uh, to, uh, to launch off of. And, and I was also kind of lucky because I got the gig because I wrote, I was in the middle of writing um, a book called Batman, the night, which was, 10 issue origin story for Batman, but like pre Batman, like it's Bruce Wayne as a kid traveling the world, learning all the skills to become Batman. Uh, so to be able to write the character at such a young age uh, and then be presented with him at what is now the older age, like older than he's ever been in the main title because they've aged him up a bit. Um, that's, that's been a lot of fun and that helped a lot because I'm like, Oh yeah, I've got this young voice. I'm like, it's very easy to jump to the old voice. Once you've got that young voice, you're like, Oh, okay. What have the years done to this guy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. What, I guess, what is your approach to, to old man Bruce? I mean, I don't want you to like, here's what I'm, where I'm going with this, but that voice, what, what do you do with an older Bruce Wayne? Yeah. He's not, he's not as cocky. Um, as he used to be, he doesn't quite think that he knows everything the way he has in the past, um, because, uh, he's made enough mistakes that he knows that that's just not the case. Um, uh, I think there's, uh, I'm writing him with some guilt over the fact that like all these people have followed him into this life. Um, because I mean, the way DC kind of lays it out, like, like, well, okay, he's had like three Robins there's like a whole bunch of people who aren't Robin who have followed him. Uh, there's like, there's a good dozen people who are superheroes kind of because of Batman or based on Batman or wear a bat symbol. Um, so, uh, he's no longer just like a lone soldier. Um, he's kind of the captain of this army, uh, uh, whether he wants it or not. And, uh, that was never part of his plan. So a lot of what I'm writing is about him kind of like coming to grips with that in his mind and um, wondering if there is such a thing as a happy soldier, like, cause he wants his kids to be happy, but he recognizes this life isn't one of happiness. So, uh, and no one's also as good as Batman. So can he let people who are not as good as him that are kind of his charges out in the world, you know, potentially dying or getting hurt. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conflict there I get to work with, which is fun. That's very interesting. Very interesting. It's hard to find new takes. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's hard, uh, but you, you, you know enough about the character because it's like, he's oh, been for around sure. forever. It's, it's Batman. <laughs> it's to the point where when I got the gig, uh, another comic writer, Mark Wade, who is both a friend and an enemy sent me an email <laughs> congratulating me in which he said, Hey, you know, congrats on the Batman gig. Did you know that um, Batman uh, is the one fictional character who's had the most stories written about him in the history of mankind? Anyways, good luck finding a new story. Like it's just like <laughs> total, total dick like, move. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. But he's right. And like, you kind of, you kind of have to like you can find new takes on yeah. old stories, and yeah. you can like, like I said, playing playing with them a little bit older kind of opens it up a, a bit because there have been obviously you know stories where Batman's old, but maybe not on the precipice of it. Um, so uh, so I'm lucky that there's there's still a bit of wiggle room there to find new stories. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it, I actually. Oh. Sorry, Dallas, to cut you off. Um, you. I actually have a question from our third co-host from the show, and she unfortunately wasn't able to join us tonight, but she sent me a list of a couple of her questions, and I feel like right. this is a Batman one that will make me sound smart, so I'll ask All it. All right. I love it. <laughs> She's much smarter than I am. Um, 
So it says, we've seen stories where Batman has taken on the Justice League and had to deal with the consequences of his insecurities before. In the aftermath of Failsafe, what are you most excited to explore that you don't think has been explored before? Kind of a little, what's what's out there? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but... Um... He never really learned his lesson from the Justice League encounters. I, uh, she's referring to, I was playing off of a, a classic Justice League story called the Tower of Babel, in which mm-hmm. bad guys basically defeat the Justice League because they broke into Batman's computer and found his list of how to defeat the Justice League. Like Batman, Batman has a has a, a solution to every problem and even that problem. And so, in in my first arc. Um, the question is posed, well, what was Batman's solution to himself if he went bad? And turns out it's a robot that he created called Failsafe, which mm-hmm. goes after Batman to neutralize him if uh, he ever um, steps uh, across the uh, the line that Batman has set for himself. Um, but uh, but I, I, even in the story, I, I try to make it clear that it's it's his youthful hubris like his paranoia of youth that created it. And he's a different guy now, but even still all the actions of his past are kind of coming back to haunt him. Um, So now that he's older, like the question is going to be like, not how do I stop myself? It's how do I keep going past the age where I physically can't do this anymore? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the next stage in this run is like, how is he going to, prepare not to take himself down but prepare for a world without batman i i love that it seems to be going into a lot of those same questions of public domain like this is just um a family business in spandex right like why do you wrestle with your legacy how do you convince your kids to also put on the underpants outside of the tights or to not like that's the other thing like some people are so um weighed down by their family business they don't want that for their kids, which is, you know, I've seen that happen in real life as well, which is like, no, like, I don't want you to take over the bakery. Like I have to get up at four in the morning every day. And like, I barely make ends meet. Like, like I want this to die. Even if you want to take it over because of some sense of like, <laughs> you know, history, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen a lot of instances where parents are like, no, I don't want you in the family business because it's not a good business. And uh, I think that's kind of more Batman's leaning in this uh, upcoming story. You don't want the tights. They come with great responsibility. It's it's true when you get runs in them and yeah, it's hard. It's a hard life. Batman's like, you've never chafed how I've chafed before. Dick, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Um, so shifting a little bit towards Daredevil. So your Batman is in the beginning your daredevil i'm not sure how long it's going to go but we're definitely in the back half of that run we have shifted from street level catholic guilt mat to ninja catholic guilt mat Mm -hmm. and i just wonder what i guess what your approach to matt murdoch in the ninja world is like because those have always seemed very distinct but equally important halves of that character to me since frank miller yeah, uh, Electra's kind of the key to all of that. Like, he's very reluctant. Like, he's more at home in Hell's Kitchen in New York City, uh, or at least the 1980s version of New York City that Marvel keeps going. Um, uh, I wanted to make sure in 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 my storyline, like Electra is the thing that kind of brings him in. Cause she kind of bridges those worlds. Like she was his girlfriend in college. Uh, she's the one that's kind of linked to the hand to the ninja stuff. Um, so there's, the, it's always reluctance on, on his part, whereas there's never reluctance for him in, in New York. Uh, and uh, in this case, in this storyline, it's the fact that he has goals and she has goals and uh, those goals can meet. Um, through uh through matt wine to rehabilitate prisoners kind of create like a whole new idea for what prison should be uh while also thinking bigger and getting rid of this this evil that's infiltrated all these levels of the world uh and electra's just like single-minded like we need to take down this organization once and for all um 
so yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the big difference there. It's just that that level of reluctance, and uh, I I kind of always knew that I was going to grow to be something bigger because we start off the run with something very small, like a liquor store robbery gone wrong, in which Daredevil accidentally kills someone, and everything's just been kind of like the snowball from that, and him kind of realizing how broken the system is, how. Uh, a violence for violence sake is not the way uh and uh he needs to think bigger than just jumping around rooftop to rooftop beating up people who are you know who have had problems and he's just like beating them up and throwing them in prison which creates even more problems for them it doesn't actually solve anything except uh um a deep-seated uh, love of violence that he he has he has to kind of come to grips with so uh so i like the fact that like We've been able to like start small, have everything kind of work from that moment and get bigger and bigger, uh, while also kind of paying homage to, yeah, the gritty New York street stuff, and then into the ninja, uh, Japan uh, stuff, uh, but also introduce new elements to it as well as we go. And then like the final, the final arc of this is going to be. Um, Again, a, a bit of a callback to another kind of period, but um, but again, speaking to like the bigger thoughts of systems and violence and uh, and um, what your obligations are. Do you feel like it's easier to write a more socially conscious book like this with a character like Daredevil, who's just to the side of the limelight? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, um, Daredevil is the best title you can work on in comics in corporate comics because um one it's got a history of creators just doing whatever they want Mm -hmm. like ever since frank miller did it in the 80s everyone that's come after has just been like given the keys and just said they were just like go create something weird different adult whatever you want to do just go off and do it um because also he's not he's not an Avenger he's not X Men he's not Fantastic Four he doesn't tie into anything you know he's street level um, he's not Spider Man he's not like the main character of the Marvel Universe so it's it's always a low level title that just sells well enough to keep going but the collections mm-hmm. sell very strong because they're stories um, for readers. Like there's stories that usually have a beginning, middle, and an end that kind of delve into <clears throat> social issues or complex problems um, that you can't really do with something like Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four is a fun, big book, but uh, but with Daredevil, like I I had him not in costume for fifteen issues straight. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you couldn't do that with Spider-Man. You couldn't do that with Batman. You can't have a critique of the prison system in Batman because uh, that readership would just, would would murder you. They would find you and they'd kill you. Like, and I'd like to say that I'm (laughs) exaggerating, but I don't think I am. Like, the Batman fan doesn't um, do that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's (laughs) a passionate, it's a passionate fan base. Um, But, you know, those are the warnings I got going into that gig. It's just like, you gotta, you gotta, you got to be a bit more careful with your stories and you can't just be like, I'm going to go off and do this. Like DC counts on that title. Like I can't Mm -hmm. just have Batman not be Batman for 15 issues. Like DC needs to sell books and Batman appears in every book. If I do something to that character, like Daredevil, I could like, I could chop his hand off. I could have him lose a sense of hearing. I could like get rid of him and bring somebody else in as Daredevil. Um, And I can just do that running it by two or three people at Marvel at DC. If I want to take Batman's pinky off like that affects everything, the toy line, the video games, like you've got to run it up the ladder, any kind of big changes like that. So uh, much easier to do with a title like daredevil. You really are just kind of left alone. The caveat to that is when I started working on it, there was a Netflix show. (laughs) So um, my pitch had to get approved by a lot more people than normal but by the time i started writing that netflix show was canceled so i'm like i was like the only daredevil fan that was grateful the show was canceled (laughs) because it made my job a lot easier 
Oh, I love that. Is there anything that you were surprised you got away with, with Daredevil? Um, and maybe just the, the amount of time of him not being Daredevil. Um, for the most part, I think I kind of know how far I can push things. One of the, one of the beats in issue five, there's a beat of Spider-Man showing up and basically telling him to take your, take your mask off, take your costume off. Like you're done. Like he's there to like set him straight. Um, and I wanted to write that scene just cause like Peter Parker, Spider-Man is the moral center of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason he's the center of civil war, both kind of movie and uh, comics because he's like where he goes, the audience goes. And so uh, I really wanted the scene of him like coming down heavy and hard and just being like, you know, you're done. You're no longer a superhero. You're going to, you're going to mess this up for everyone. Um, when I pitched that in the room, there was a lot of pushback because I, I pitched it at like a Marvel retreat where we all get together in New York in this weird room uh, where like you're all, you're facing all like 50 people and there's like statues of the Hulk and Thor behind you. It's very unnerving, but I pitched it to the room and like, um, I felt like it was a good pitch because there was arguments about it. Like as soon as people start like, well, oh, you can't have them do this or you can do this or whatever. Like it kind of became kind of a old creator versus young creator kind of fight. And then like, as soon as that happened, I'm like, Oh, I've got something. Like as soon as there's that, that kind of discussion, you know, you've got uh, so, uh, a winner. Um, mm-hmm. if, some, if everyone's just like, well, great pitch. All right. What's next? Then you're, you're <laughs> done. Like you've just created a boring story and they don't even want to talk about it. Um, but, but yeah, the, the moment with Spider-Man, that was pushed back on. And it was pushed back on by like the editor and the editor in chief. And I just said to them, like, let me write all the issues up to it. I will send you the script with the scene with Spider-Man. And if at that point you need it changed, I'll change it. But I think I can pull it off. And, and luckily enough, by the time I got there and I sent it in, either they forgot they had problems with it or they were just like, great, okay, it works. You're right. Let's do it. Um, and it became like one of the most popular scenes in those the, the first arc. So, yeah. So I'm happy about that. I just I feel like your run has felt weighty for the character. I think that we're in a very fun era for superhero comic books, but mm-hmm. your Daredevil stands out as one where... I really have to ask, like, is Matt Murdock going to ruin his life? You know? Yeah. And the answer yeah. to that is he obviously right? is always like, is he, no. Is he going? Yeah. But, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. is he right? Is he, like, yeah. obviously he's not going to ruin his life, but, like, I really wonder every time, like, what's he going to do? Is it? Is this it? Is this yeah. the line for Daredevil? And you're walking that so yeah. well, so. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's the fun of the character. You can You can get away with that stuff, whereas you wouldn't be able to on, say, Spider-Man. Yeah, I you, I don't think there's any amount of money in the world to make me want to write Spider Man if that opportunity ever came. Oh, well, it's funny. It. Like I wouldn't first, do it. Folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forget it, Marvel. Don't back up that money truck. You yeah, just, I know. You keep it away from Dallas. There's no way. You're yeah. banging down the closet no, door. But... Spider Man. <laughs> I have. I have said mean. <laughs> they yeah, are. I mean. The um, so I've written Spider-Man a few occasions. Um, the day I was announced, the first time I wrote Spider-Man was Spectacular Spider-Man. They were bringing it back. It was going to be a new issue one. It was the biggest thing to happen to me in my career. The day it was announced, I started to get messages through all sorts of social media back channels from readers, uh, and almost all of them were basically like, uh, "I think you'll agree with me that the last uh, ten years of Spider-Man have been garbage." And um, that to make it uh, popular again and readable, you'll have to do this, 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 and this. And they're just like telling me how to write it. And I was like, oh, no, no. Okay. All right. I'm at this level now. And I had to shut down. You can't contact me anywhere online. Like, it's just impossible. Uh, and, and that stemmed from that day. Once I realized like, oh, okay, now you're working at a level where people are so, they have such a link to these characters that they are going to like hound you if you don't do it the exact way you want them to have it written. And like over the course of that, cause I wrote spectacular Spider-Man for about 20 issues. Um, I just get the full range. I get the full range of people who are just like ecstatic at what I was doing. People who just wanted me dead. Like people who just like, uh, love that this would happen. And then people who hate that that would have happened. Like everyone has their own concept 
of those characters. And a lot of it is based on when you first read it. Like if you're mm-hmm. a Spider-Man reader and you started reading it when he was married to Mary Jane Watson, the supermodel, and you think in your head, you're Peter Parker. And now you're married to the supermodel too. Um, <laughs> you are, you, you are going to die on that hill that they should be a married couple. And uh, that has to happen. Um, uh, you'll keep buying the book because there's something wrong in your head and you're buying a thing you hate over and over again. <laughs> but if you came in after that point, the chances are you're not into that. Or if you came before that point, you're like a Gwen Stacy diehard. Like you've got a totally different view on it. Um, if you're someone who just loves story, uh, then you have another kind of view on what should happen to the character. If you understand the business side of it, you have another, like everyone has a different kind of view on, on that character. And same with Batman, who's had so many different versions. So a lot of people want a Spider-Man that murders. Uh, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But they want, they, want, they want the story to grow with them. Like, I am a mature adult now, and I want a dark Spider-Man story. I'm like, yeah, but at its heart, it's still a book about, like, a young guy in a bright costume, you know, making quips. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're not into it, you've grown out of it. And you can't just appreciate the story. So there's <laughs> there's a lot associated with Spider-Man and Batman, especially. That um, I, I wrote a few different Spider-Man series. They were never the main one, and I said publicly, I will never write that uh, main series because of that. Because I've seen friends of mine do it, and the, the toll it has on their mind that every Wednesday their issue comes out, and people are just telling Marvel to fire them, even though they're writing great stories, but they're not writing the specific stories that they want, and People people often confuse like bad story versus story I don't want to read. And like Dan Slott, uh, Nick Spencer, Zeb Wells, they all write really great stories, great comic stories, great Spider-Man stories. But it might not be the Spider-Man story you want to read. And if that's the case, then the, okay, you don't read it. You go read something else. But you can't be like, this isn't this isn't what I want. You know, he's, you're making him a screw up and he should be super competent now because he's been doing this for 60 years. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> these are not for you then, man. <laughs> the, the problem, I mean, the big problem, I'm oh, sorry, I'm going on. I know the big problem with like that. these, the big problem with the comics that have been going since like the 1960s or earlier is that when you read a novel or you watch a movie, there's an arc to a character. They have a flaw. And over the course of that story, they fix the flaw. Usually, they overcome their shyness. They overcome their anger. And like, so by the end, it's like, oh, okay, you've you're a changed person. The movie, the novel is over. You can't do that with comics. Like, if you if you if you fixed all the flaws of the characters, then by this point in you know 2023 the comics would all be about like captain america superman style characters spider-man should be flawless he shouldn't be angry he shouldn't be a screw-up he shouldn't have girl troubles like he shouldn't have any of those flaws because there have been thousands of stories where he's had to overcome those but you'll just end up with like perfect characters like if iron man was perfect if tony stark was like oh i'm not smug anymore you know i'm i'm I'm, uh, I, I never screw up. Uh, my ego is in check now because I learned the hard way. Um, I don't make decisions for others. Uh, I'm just a great superhero. I'm like, okay, who's going to read it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's really hard with those characters that exist for so long. Cause you're, you kind of, you're, you're in the, that weird space where they cannot grow past a certain point. Like Spider-Man has to screw up. He just has to, or else you've got a story about a perfect character with his perfect wife who has perfect kids. And it's like, that's not a story I want to read across so many characters, across so many comics. But a a lot of readers just can't, they can't get that. They don't understand why they actually fell in love with the character in the first place. So it's tricky. It's very tricky. The more, the more important the character, the harder it is because there's been too many stories written about them already. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's me on my uh, my soapbox, and now I'll step <laughs> off of it. We love it. We'll take it. 
it is it is one of the biggest challenges of, of writing these characters for these companies um even on daredevil like i'm retelling daredevil stories really ultimately oh daredevil is no longer daredevil yeah that's been done but you got to find your own way in on it um and you kind of have to ignore all the things that have happened. I remember <laughs> at one point I was writing a Spider-Man story in which it was like him versus Sandman or something. And so I'm like, okay, I've read a bunch of Sandman comics, but like, I'll, I'll look up, you know, the wiki to make sure like uh, I'm getting everything right. I looked it up and like, everything's happened to the character. Everything. He's been good, bad, good, bad, dead, alive. Like, and then you look at every supporting character in Spider-Man, like they've all been villains or a superhero they've had powers they've died they've come back like his buddy harry his buddy ned betty brant like whoever it is like they've all had so much trauma that they should all be locked away um because their brains have been broken but you can't write that story you have to write the story in which they're walking down the street getting some coffee not thinking about the fact that, oh, I murdered a man two years ago, or <laughs> I was murdered three years ago. <laughs> like, you really have to shut these things off to, yeah. to tell the stories properly. If you lean too heavy into what came before, uh, oh, my God, it'd just be trauma porn. It'd be horrible. <laughs> I just oh, know God. the fans want to see Betty Brandt break bad. They want to see <laughs> Betty Brandt break bad. Yep. Too, she's been pushed too far. Push to the yep. edge. <laughs> Gonna lose it. <laughs> well, I believe she has. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll oh, call up her Wikipedia. Know. Oh yeah, she has. Has officially <laughs> lost it. Oh, oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. There was that. Fifth, there was those twenty issues back in the nineties where she cooked and dealt meth. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it, yeah. do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have to ask though, with having so much commentary on like what you can and can't do with your characters, how is it now that you have like, I mean, to pull from public domain because it's fresh on my mind, mm-hmm. how is it to create these characters, these new ones that have never been done before and they're like your your babies? How does it feel to just kind of get to take it from here with them? It's easier and harder because yeah. um so the the example I like to use every once in a while is um, if I'm writing Spider-Man and by issue two, I have Aunt May get hit by a bus, you know, RIP Aunt May. Um, <laughs> readers will get emotional because someone else has done the work for me. Like mm-hmm. hundreds of creators have done the work to build her up as like a cherished character. So when I finally introduce my new villain, the bus, I hit Aunt May. Um, uh, all the heavy lifting's been done by the history of the characters. So when you're doing a new thing, you don't you don't have that to fall back on. Like if I hit you know Sid Dallas with a bus in issue two, like no one's going to care because there's not sixty years of Sid Dallas stories. You didn't grow up with the character, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's trickier to like. You have to put in a lot more work to really make sure you're kind of building an emotional life for the characters and a connection with the readers. Um, so when you do good things, you celebrate as a reader. If you do bad things, you you know you feel the impact as a reader. Um, so that that's that's a lot trickier. There's there's kind of more pressure put on yourself when you're when you're doing that. Um, and the voices too. It's like I said, like it's easy to write Jughead. I know how Jughead sounds, but I don't know how Dave sounds. Uh, so you've got to really kind of like, I go over the dialogue a lot more on public domains than I do on like Batman, um, just to make sure that I'm like, that everyone feels distinct because the, the danger can always be, I'm writing everyone as if they're me, which will create a very boring comic. Um, so that's tricky, but ultimately it's super satisfying at the end when you like, if you create that kind of connection and you know, oh, this didn't exist before I've created a whole thing in which someone like you know, uh, someone, uh, a friend was saying the other day, like he read it and he's just like, oh, like by the end of volume five, I like, I, I hate Jerry Jasper so much, but like, uh, but there's like a small part of me that feels bad for him. I'm like, that's great. Like there's no, there's no better uh, compliment you can get as a creator to instill that kind of feeling in a reader. But if somebody said that about like Batman, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm like, yeah, but it's Batman. 
like, oh, Batman, like, I love when he did this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but also, you like Batman before. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I appreciate the compliment, but also, like, Batman's doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, which he does in terms of sales and popularity as well. Like, my Batman comics sell well. Is that because of me? No. Maybe a small part, but if I'm not on that book and they put in a totally new writer, like, it's still probably going to sell pretty close to what it sold before. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more of a feeling of uh, accomplishment on public domain Definitely. as a result. Yeah. And sex criminals, too, especially. Yeah. I think that a book like Public Domain will have a shelf life to it that's rewarding as a reader where great Batman stories, great Daredevil stories, there are the ones you return to, but then there are also the ones that just existed in their moment or exist because mm-hmm. you're a huge Daredevil or Batman fan that wants to read it all. But something yeah. like public domain, you can hand to someone who just likes a great story and they don't have to be mired in the context of it all. And I think that's, I mean, that's the magic of creator own comics, right? That's the magic of stories like public domain where you don't have to be a comic book writer to relate to, like we've talked about here, family business, yeah. working around assholes, And I just, I hope to any of our listeners that are here because they love your Batman and your Daredevil work, but, and they haven't checked out public domain that they do because it, it touches on the emotional cores that we like from these stories in the first place. And I guess I just, I wanted to wrap up Chip by just asking what's coming down the pipeline from you. What, what's in the future for Chip Zdarsky that you want our listeners to know about? Oh my God. Uh, the sweet release of death, I guess. <laughs> you want oh to no. hear first breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the, well, it's, um, it's been a wild few years and, um, like in 2022, I had 13 projects that I was working on. Um, some were like miniseries, some were one shots, but there were like 13 things on my, on my spreadsheet going into 2023. I got down to nine this week. I got down to eight. Um, I'm just, I'm just doing my best to try and like get as much off my plate so I can focus on uh, public domain and uh, a, just a couple of projects. So, yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of Batman to go. Uh, I've told DC that I'm on it until they fire me. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. Um, Daredevil is definitely in the, uh, we're, we're in the back half for sure. Um, I can't say for sure what uh what number it's going to because that's up to marvel to say i've got a marvel miniseries finally going to get announced that i've been working on since 2019 with an artist who's very good but a little slow so it's been you know i have to deliver a script every four months to kind of keep it going Mm -hmm. um yeah basically daredevil batman and that marvel mini are the only marvel dc stuff that uh that i've got on the books um probably forever I think that's probably going to be it for me <laughs> working for the companies unless uh, something changes. Stillwater's wrapping up in a month with issue 18. Um, Newburn, uh, my detective book with Jacob Phillips uh, is coming back. Uh, that'll be solicited in a couple of months. I've got another miniseries for image coming out. Uh, another long gestating miniseries for image coming out. Uh, All nighter for Comicsology RIP is still coming out. Um, geez, what else? Sorry, now I'm just like I'm lost you, in my. You've been a machine. List. You yeah. have been a machine. Yeah, a lot it's, of books. It, it's it's a bit much. I mean, it would be a lot easier if I wasn't like again drawing uh, public domain because that's like that's like eight hours a day there. Um, uh, yeah, which is why I'm trying to get rid of a lot of stuff because I've got I'm going to do at least three volumes of public domain, if not more, if it's financially viable. Um, mm-hmm. um, and to do that means I, I just can't write at the speed that I've been going at <laughs> for so yeah. long. If I could get my career down to public domain and then two books, that would be perfect. So. So people people can look forward to a bunch of stuff for me this year, and then less stuff, and then maybe even less stuff until they're like, Chip who? Chip Cesar what? And that's fine. Heck yeah, man. That's yeah. honestly, like, I hope you do just get to work on three books and live yeah. happily forever. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah. That'd be nice. Uh, also, I, I've got to say, before we go, 
Um, while it wasn't my intention, clearly I have uh, stolen the name Dallas Comics from you. Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Just, me smile I, remember on, I remember seeing on Twitter like your, your Twitter handle. I'm just like, wait, somebody didn't make an account because of this right and then i clicked through no. I'm like oh geez, sorry <laughs> no i honestly it made me smile it's it felt like oh, validation good. for all the years that my name wasn't on keychains i remember yeah. i'd go in as <laughs> yep. a little kid be like oh i need my name on something it's a like dallas texas mug nope never <laughs> yeah, I I was gonna say, you're, texas you, mug. yeah those are the keychains they're on if you go to dallas you're yeah. you're good i had an aunt that lived in dallas she'd always send me stuff like look there it is in big letters. Yeah, like, Thank you. I get it. I get it. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, great. A DVD oh. set of Dallas, the soap opera. Thank you. That is why Thank you have Whatever, every, what every yeah. seven-year-old wants. Dallas, the soap yeah. opera. Thank oh. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Chip. This was a blast. Really yeah, was. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm glad All you right. liked the book. Yeah. And again, listeners, please go and pick up volume one of Public Domain. Thank you so much, Ooh. and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.